Thanks for listening to this audio from Nesta Education 2019, Shaping the Future, Shifting the System. Here's Nesta Chief Executive Jeff Mulgan in conversation with Director of the Victoria and Albert Museum, Dr Tristram Hunt, and Global Teacher Prize winner for 2018, Andrea Zafiraku. And in a way, one, one thing I would take away from that, and perhaps the segue to our next conversation, links to some materials we produced a few months ago for use in classrooms, helping teenagers think through the future world of work 10, 20 years' time. And I've done quite a lot of sessions myself with year nines and tens. And in a way, it's crucial we don't... Uh, uh, we help them not see the future, the technology, the sort of autonomous vehicles Tim mentioned solely as a threat, solely in terms of fear, but seeing the excitement, the possibility of everything from uh, new boring tunnel technologies to the sort of automated uh, uh, steel manufacturing Tim mentioned to, um, to the future of search, retail, etc. This, in, in a sense, our biggest challenge is to help that generation feel they have some control, there's some agency, some ability to shape that world and prosper in it. So that's what we're going to talk about now with Andrea, who is there. Uh, Andrea Zaffer, do, do come on onto the stage. Andrea Zaffarico, who is the winner of the 2018 Global uh, Teacher Prize, uh, teaches in Brent, uh, created her own organization, Artists in Residence, and many other things. And Tristram Hunt, who's sitting over there, uh, as I mentioned earlier, historian, uh, another recovering politician. We had one with Jim Knight <laughs> a little bit earlier, uh, and and now running that ex the extraordinary institution of the VNA. So you can, by the way, stand up if you want to, as a sort of teachers, or sit down exactly as you feel. But it's the time of the afternoon. We probably should be slightly mobile. So Andrea, maybe start with you as a teacher. How do you help your pupils feel a sense of agency, a control over the future, you know, a line of sight between what you're teaching them and their future lives? Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Hard question, but hello, good afternoon. Um, it's lovely to be here, and thank you for coming. Um, I'm gutted I didn't come to the earlier sessions. I really enjoyed that. Looking at my students, I think the biggest thing that we are now working with them is how to control their well-being mm. and their mental health. Because at the moment, um, I'm sure that you're all aware, and if you have got children of your own who are undertaking GCSEs or their SATs, what's taking place now is that they are being absolutely primed, mm. rope learning, into sitting these exams in June and July. And what's taking place in, in my world, in the secondary world, is the fact that our students have got three weeks, and within those three weeks, they'll be sitting approximately 30 exams, and they're about two and a half hours each. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that you just see them, you just see their, them working hard, you, you, they're getting stressed, um, that brings on a lot of difficulties, and then when the examinations finish, there is, they go through almost a huge anticlimax, they get depressed. Uh, and then it's the, what do I do now? Uh, and that's when our parents really call out to us and say, I'm really concerned about my children. So how do we prepare them for work? Mm. Or life. Or life, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I, I'm very fortunate. My school is um, very much uh, focused on the well-being, the whole holistic child. So we look at the pastoral um, essence and making sure that they are well prepared for the future of work. But what um, Tim said earlier, which was amazing, was that you know it would be lovely if 
younger organisations were working um, with the curriculum because actually that's what we desperately need. Our students need to see the role models. They need to see what jobs they could do um, and hear from um, uh, designers or um, CEOs to say, I did that subject and now I, I am here and this is the path, the journey that I've undertaken. And that's missing, you think? I think that's missing. I think it's missing um, drastically because I think at the moment with our educational system, and I don't know if there's any ministers here, but I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Um, I'm Sorry, not, I know, I know, I know. It's <laughs> totally... You've moved from the dark side. Oh, no. um, anything you say is totally private apart from 500 <laughs> people in this room and the rest no, of the world. No, I, yeah. yeah. I just really worry because um, I think our students are almost feel that they have to fit into a box. Mm. They have to follow this direction. They have to follow that. Or they have to do this. And that's it. Whereas now, I mean... It doesn't work like that. Our students are being exposed and introduced by, to the world through social media, through the internet. And actually, they're, they're becoming entrepreneurs. They're finding ways to solve the problems themselves. They're finding ways of finding the way out, if they can, if they've got those resilient skills. Because they have to, because the future that's out there that they think they should be going into, they don't want to be going into. Mm. So they're learning a bit like, you, your, your description of exams is a bit like machine learning, but in a different sense of machine learning to what you know, I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I would not want to be a teenager um, in these particular days. I would not want to undertake that. I think it's, it's really a concern. So just say a word about creativity. Obviously, a lot, a lot of your teaching and AIR is all about the arts and creativity. What, what would your advice be to other teachers, other schools to really reinforce uh, a schooling which draws out creative potential. See, I get really worried, Jeff, because I've met many teachers and many school leaders across the world over this amazing year that I've had that say creativity is so important, but we haven't got the time. Yeah. We can't put it into our curriculum, you know, our, our governments, our assessments, and that's the problem. If we're saying that when a child enters early years curriculum, so when they're going to nurseries and we want them to play, we want them to explore, we want them to have fun and to learn in that particular way through creativity, if we're doing that now, and then by the time they reach secondary um, or even university, that we are knocking that out of them, then what chance could they have? So in terms of creativity, it cannot be an add-on. Mm. We can't just say, let's do it as an extracurricular activity, as an after-school curricula uh, after curricular activity. Mm. It's got to be embedded, and we can embed it in every single subject. But I know... Can you give us one example, your favourite example of that kind of embedding? I mean, I'm an art teacher, so for me, the, for creativity, it just it happens naturally. I allow students, and we allow students, sorry, in our school, to make mistakes, to have a project, to develop their own project. There's no right and wrong in the arts, and that's amazing. Um, and that learning process, that journey, is vital for a child, and that's what makes them who they are. And um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's all about... You know, what do we want our children to become? And I think creativity has always been, you know, the underpinning um, core, and they achieve through that as well. Fantastic. We're going to come back to you in a bit, and there will be a chance for you to ask any questions either through mm. Slido, mm. which was up a second ago, or in the very old-fashioned way of putting your hands up uh, in a moment, and you can ask questions 
uh, to Andrew, or indeed about Kim Jong-un's interpersonal skills, which uh, Tim mm. Jones was referring to. <laughs> uh, Tristram, over to you. What, what's, what's your answer to these questions? You've seen them from, from multiple angles. How, how do we get the right kind of creativity, fertility into an education system? Um, I think there are some sort of quite clear public policy wins you can do. You can abolish GCSEs and have a, a baccalaureate system between 14 and 19. You can have Ofsted inspect schools and deliver no outstanding results to schools unless they have a full and balanced curriculum. Um, so you can have interventions there. But I now, um, as, as you said, have left the world uh, of politics. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm almost a civil servant. Um, and I have the great privilege of running the V&A. And the V&A is, is a museum, but it's also not a museum. That's one of its joys, um, in that it came into being as a design school. It was part of the design school movement of the 1840s and 50s, mm. when actually there was this, this fear um, that Britain was losing its creative edge in terms of design, um, that after the first Industrial Revolution, France and Germany and America were catching up. And what Britain needed to do was invest in design skills. And so you had a series of design schools established across the country. The Wedgwood Institute in Stoke-on-Trent, one in Newcastle. And at the heart of them was, initially in, in Somerset House, was, the, was the, the government schools of design, which came the V&A. So we've always had this really strong uh, connection to education and creativity at the heart of our institution. And the reason I provide some of this history is that now what we're doing at the museum is saying there are two forces going on. One is this incredibly strict accountability criteria mm. at schools, which is stripping out space for creativity. On the other hand, we've got the fourth industrial revolution. We've got PISA talking about uh, looking at creativity as an essential part of, 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 school, of, of schooling and education. And there are not enough players in, in the space to help establish that. And so museums, born of the design school movement, established to do this, should be working with schools and other partners to help establish that. So both at the V&A in South Kensington, we've created something called Design Lab Nation, which is about teaching the new design and technology GCSE through sharing more of our objects around the country. And we think the new curriculum is, is not bad. And then at our museum in Bethnal Green, the Museum of Childhood, we're stripping that out. What was a museum of the culture of childhood, the museum of the sociology of childhood, we're going to turn it into this engine for creative energy and creative content, uh, using our collections to inspire creativity and innovation in Tower Hamlets, where both the school system and many families feel they lack the creative capacity and energy to do it. So I think that there are public policy solutions to this around accountability mechanisms, Ofsted uh, examination systems. But you know we can all wait for Nick Gibb to change his mind. In the meantime, uh, we can actually do something as institutions to, to try and make a difference. Can we do a quick instant poll stroke referendum? So Tristram mentioned abolishing GCSEs, replacing with a broad-based baccalaureate how many of you, on balance, agree with that? If you were Secretary of State, and very conservative. How many disagree? I'm just so there's a majority, just but main, mainly don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, so obviously the, the, the retort on the way to both of you, uh, which 
you know, one hears from Ofsted and Nick Gibb and others is that this is all very well what you're talking about, but this is quite a luxury when we have a school system still not providing lots of kids with the basics in, in maths and reading and so on. And so taking your argument seriously would divert resources away from those fundamentals and ultimately would let those children down in terms of their life chances. What's your, your we'll start with you, your response to that, that, that very common argument? Well, I mean, I saw that argument at work in, in schools in Stoke-on-Trent when I was the Member of Parliament there uh, over seven years in, in an area of, of great disadvantage with, with real issues on um, attainment. And we saw the kind of the EBAC system and, and, um, and, and also elements of the academisation system to deliver that. And I have to say, it, w it was not delivering the change they, they hoped for. What is more, we also know, and this is exactly Andrea's point, that art or design is not something limited to those subject areas. You can teach design thinking through mathematics. You can teach design thinking through physics and chemistry. This is a way of approaching the syllabus. And if we do think that project working, collaboration, all of those components are really important for the future, then you can have those as a mechanism mm. uh, for delivering those other subjects. So I, I definitely don't see it as either or. And, and you all remember one of the problems, Jeff, of the, of the literacy hour for um, in, on, under New Labour, a, a, a big push there um, in terms of, 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 of changing literacy. Actually, the, the way in which then that kind of, re, in often sort of unhelpful ways, reshaped the day and the way it was almost not in a bad way, but gamed through the system, wasn't delivering the outcomes people wanted. Yeah. Mm. And Andrew, what, what do you say to that sort of, uh, that argument that this is all essentially a bit of a luxury and a diversion for lots of kids? Well, to it's absolute like rubbish, that. to be honest with you, simply because with maths, we teach symmetry through the arts. Yeah. We can teach Islamic design. You have um, Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most greatest um, human beings of our life, and he is an artist, an inventor, a scientist. There should not be um, an either or an all. It should be everything. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we give every single opportunities to our children now. They are competing on a global scale, not a national scale, a global scale for jobs. Mm. And they're not going to stand a chance. They need to have every single uh, skill, toolkit, ready so that they can go out there and compete. And that includes confidence, that includes resilience. Um, these horrible, you know that, that word soft skills we just want to kill. <laughs> um, they need, this, this is what they need more and more of. And unfortunately at the moment, um, it's not happening in my opinion. Um, but yes, we do need literacy, numeracy, absolutely. But guess what? We actually already embed those subjects through our subjects, the arts, um, through languages, through humanities. They are there already. Let's not segregate them. And for, sorry, yeah, just yeah. very briefly, the other point is, Singapore, where I went there, everyone goes there, Singapore yeah. model of maths teach other. Singapore doesn't take the view that art, sport, drama, music are extracurricular. Yeah. They think they're co-curricular activities. Yeah. So if we're happy to take the Singapore model of Chunking, maths teaching, I never get it right. right. What, why not? You know, why not also think? Well, they're also investing in those areas for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you both one last question before we turn to Slido and uh, anything you want to ask, and that really picks up on your comment, Tristram, on the, the fourth industrial revolution and the, the parallels with the 
the mid-19th century and arts and design. How much do you think the skills today's teenagers need for the fourth industrial revolution are actually very old ones, as Tim Jones said, about problem-solving, creativity, judgment, etc., or thinking clearly, and how much are really new ones, like coding, etc.? Because, in a sense, our whole discussion today has been about future readiness, but how much is future readiness about going back to, in some ways, very old ideas of education, and how much is it really new and shiny? Let's we start with you on that one, Tristram. I mean, I, I actually, on, on the one hand, I think the, what, what the fourth industrial revolution and the digital revolution returns us to is before the two cultures divide. Um, and when the v was established as the South Kensington Museum, it was described by Prince Albert as the central storehouse of art and science. It was to be this great facility where both scientists and artists came together. There was none of this kind of C.P. Snow divide. And in, in a very kind of telling 20th century moment, um, in, in 1901, the Science Museum was established opposite the Victoria and Albert Museum. They left us. We didn't leave them. Um, and then you, you, you had that divide. So I think the digital revolution really, really brings that back together. You know, classically, you know, the, the iPhone, what is that? Is that science? Is that design? Is that, um, and so those elements I, I see a return of. But actually, what, what in, in kind of V&A terms, are rather strict program of sort of design teaching of straight lines or a national want, Henry Cole, our first director, said, isn't quite right. Actually, uh, we, need, we need much more flexibility about it. Yes, it's skills around coding and um, the, the, the tools have changed and we need to make sure we have an education system which keeps people updated with the tools. But actually, the capacities that we want to instill haven't shifted profoundly. And you mentioned Singapore. Singapore has a big new-ish new Art Science Museum, yeah. <laughs> with a current big exhibition on quantum physics using the arts to, make, uh, to help us understand quantum. London doesn't yet have one. Are you going to become an art science museum? Uh, well, interestingly, our, our, our new, our new um, facilities, which we're, we're building in Stratford in East, in East London, alongside the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, where we're drawing on the air and space collection, we're drawing on their scientific... Mm. Actually, that feels... But both in line with the ideals of Robert Smithson, the, the, this great yeah. chemist who uh, helped establish the, the Smithsonian, but also the V&A. Yeah. Um, but we long for Singaporean levels of state funding. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, what, what's, what's new and what's old in the, the, future, the skills needed for the fourth industrial revolution? I don't think there will be much of a difference apart from knowledge. I don't think... We have, you know, our students have Google now. You know, hey Google, what's the answer to this? But I think what they need now is communication skills. Mm. Um, they they also need to have the the problem solving skills, which in the past where they didn't need as much, and being entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. and thinking about new ideas and creativity and problem solving, um, because they're going to have to do that. But it's um, I'm 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 quite excited about the future um, with um, the new industrial revolution, simply because. Um, our students are excited. They love it. They love devices. They love this world. That's how they communicate. Um, and they're interested. My only fear is that what they need to make sure they do is um, enjoy life and have fun. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. Where, where will it end? <laughs> <laughs> Prince Albert wasn't in favour of that, I can tell you that. 
Right, let's open up some questions. There's some great ones on Slido, but also if anyone would like to be a bit present and uh, put your hand up. And indeed, if you are the person who asked that first question about museums, would you like to reveal yourself and actually say it? Um, so there is a... I'm not sure if you can see that. Would you like to... This was a question about uh, museums essentially being based on collections in the past, not on the future. There is actually a Museum of the Future opening next year in Dubai, which a couple of Nesta colleagues now work for, which is an extraordinary, it's a ring-shaped building. Uh, it's slightly hard doing a Museum of the Future, but uh, since, th since this seems to have had the most votes, uh, Tristram, why don't you try and answer that one first? Um, oh, how interesting. No, I mean, we've, we've, uh, we had this great fear that as we put more online, as people consume items digitally, the, the museum would fall out of favour. Actually, right. there's something in the human condition about wanting to go and see the real object for yourself. And I was thinking about this the, only the other day with the AI technology and the man manipulation of reality online. Actually, the power of the object and the wonder of the object and the authenticity of the relationship of the human condition to the object um, is incredibly compelling. Um, my argument is slightly undermined in terms of the v because we have lots of plaster cast copies uh, <laughs> of historic items uh, within, our, uh, within our collections. But no, I, don't, I, I, I think, you know, why is Google scanning all of our collections? Why do we see so much interest in the archive, the vault? Why are we, I, I think there's still something very, very compelling mm. about it. And we're seeing more people, you know, the Louvre, 10.3 million visitors to it. Uh, the British Museum, 5.8 million. Um, museums are actually these spaces and important spaces for people to have the kind of civic moments that are more important than ever in a, in, a, in a digital society. What we need to do is make sure they feel as open and accessible as possible so that your students, yeah. when they come to the V&A, think, well, this belongs to me, I have a right to be here, and what can I get out of it? And I think that's what is the challenge, looking at my world and my, my area, is the fact that I, in order for me to take students to a museum, um, I need to risk assess the trip, 3,000 um, um, letters to go out to parents, um, travel tickets, and it is a massive job. Plus, I'm also fighting with other colleagues saying, well, what will they be missing? They'll be missing English, maths, other history. So where are we going to have the time to deliver those subjects? So yes, yes, but so I was gonna, we I was have gonna, a problem. I was going to come on to that because that's the next Sorry. question. <laughs> no, no, no. You, in a way, well, it, yeah. is, is what, what makes space for uh, other kind of activities around creativity? Do you make the school day longer, the school week longer, or does something else go? That's, you see, the question number two. I'm looking at the specifications that um, we have to deliver, so then the curriculum we have to deliver in our school. And head teachers are like magicians. I don't know, the, the creativity which you need to find the time to deliver everything. I mean, if my colleagues and colleagues around the world are going in during their half-term, their Easter, their, their, their um, Christmas breaks, just to be able to give their students more time to complete the coursework, if students are working at home after school hours, I mean, it's, it's, it's a balancing. I don't know the answer, but something has got to be reduced um, from what we are having to deliver to our students. Okay, what then about the question about parents? Because, and what is the parental influence in this whole debate? Almost by definition, mm. parents will have gone to school, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
So their perception of what's needed may not be very accurate in relation to the life or workplace of 10, 20 years' time. Is that a problem? Is there a clash of parental expectation, uh, parental assumption, and the more objective needs of today's teenagers? Uh, a student of mine, um, she came up to me recently and she says, Miss, Miss, can you, can you come and speak to my mum? I really want to take up Art GCSE. Mm. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, no one's taken it up in our household. They're either doing this or they're doing other subjects. And, you know, I know that, you know, you, you'll be there and you'll be able to help me. So I, I go, so what, so what does she want you to do? I said, Mum, I want to be an artist. And she says, don't you mean a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, that's a pressure which our students are having. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's understandable. As a parent, I want my child to leave university with not a huge debt and to be able to walk into a job. And what jobs are there that are traditional that you know, will, will have that? You know, they're going to be going for doctors, accountants, listers, lawyers, fine. When it comes to saying, I want to be an artist, I want to work in, um, in the area of drama, um, there is a sense of, um, well, that's not going to give you job security. So, and, that's the, and that is the right question to be asking as a parent. So, uh, again, it's what are, what are these industries doing to come into our schools to say, actually, you can be successful. I'm, a, I'm a, the head of this organisation and I've taken art, I've taken this subject, and look at me, I'm earning this much money. And that's what our students need to see. They need to see their role models. They need to see who and what they can be in order for them to actually want to dream to become it. And do they actually have to meet them, do you think? Does oh, it have no, to be face-to-face? -face? I mean, this yeah. is what um, I've been working on um, since, since um, winning the Global Teacher Prize. The moment you put that role model and have the child ask that question, so um, what I'm doing is I'm bringing artists into schools, and when you see that conversation, it's a 30-second conversation, they, the kids turn around and say to you, Miss, you mean you can get a job doing that? <laughs> You can miss, is he like, is that a job? And I'm like, yes, and he's working for this, and he's doing this, and he's doing that, and that. You can do it. And this, and this idea, this notion that you have to be in the same job for a lifetime, that's something different. That's changing. Our children need to know that you don't have to do this for the rest of your life. You can chop and change, and that's okay. So again, the more we expose them in terms of skills and um, opportunities, the more they've got opportunities to then think, well, I can actually do that as well as doing this as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's right, but I think it goes further, which is to say that studying design, design technology, art, gives you a skill set which opens up opportunities in the future, not necessarily limited to being an artist or a designer, and to make the argument that, yes, you might want your kid to be an accountant uh, or, a, or, or a dentist or a doctor, or but the robot and the rise of the robot and automation means that those jobs are going to whittle away. And, and it's a really difficult argument to make, but saying that actually if, you, if, if you're thinking long-term for your children who are going to go through three or four or five jobs, having all of the skill set that come with a sl you know, an education system which teaches project learning and collaboration and creativity and those elements will give them the, the creative resilience in the future, which will actually give them a longer lasting employment prospects, is also an argument we need to make. Now, we don't need to make it like that, but someone needs to be very punchy about saying the robot's going to steal your kids' jobs. If you want them to have longer lasting opportunities, well then creative subjects and creative confidence and creative energy are enormously important mm, for them. Mm, now, we, we strongly believe in critical thinking, and indeed that is one of the future skills. So who would like to critically 
uh, engage with what you've just heard and challenge our speakers. Fantastic. Uh, can we bring a mic to the front and there, and we will, yeah, get some, um, get the blood flowing at four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. Over to you. So I, I love what you've been saying, but if I may humbly disagree with your last point. Um, a robot doesn't have to be able to write a song to put a musician out of work, as the music industry has experienced. Um, very simple pieces of software um, um, have enabled the kind of devastation of the music industry sim through simple sharing. So if I may humbly say that the idea that to be put out of work as a creative, you need a robot which can do an equal creative job is in my opinion not correct. Um, but apart from that, you know, great work. Is that, that perfect. critical that enough order? for you? <laughs> yeah, and another one over there, please. You've got a mic there, yeah. Thank you. It's really about the, the social disparity in, in choice. You know, if, you, if you're financially stable, you have much more choice about an artistic yeah. career or yeah. any other career. If your family's not financially stable, you have yeah. much less choice. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think that's one of the hidden impacts, well, not so hidden now, of the tuition fee rise, that actually the, the level of debt now and the fear of the debt, even if you make the argument about if you don't earn X amount, you don't have to repay it, you know, over life, all the rest of it. Yeah. I think if, you, if, if many families think, okay, well, my son or daughter is going to go to university. If they're going to go to university and get this amount of debt, you know, do I want them studying drama or history or, or, or English literature? Actually, at that level, we need a secure outcome for the expenditure there. And I think, you're, I, I, I think there's a... When I go to schools, it, again, it's, it's with the parents. The challenge is with the parents yeah. so much yeah. um, because thinking, thinking about the potential on costs of it. Yeah. And following on from that point as well, it's, um, I'm always looking at students and, and from different schools, and you're thinking about private schools, the fact that the parents there, there is a demand. My child will go to museums. They will experience musical instruments. They will undertake um, the particular drama classes. They will have a fantastic, fantastic enriching experiences. In my school, that's almost impossible. And my parents will not take their children to, to an after-school um, music uh, experience if they haven't got the money from the school or the, if we don't support them. They will not take them to the museums and other incredible cultural experiences over the weekend. Even though you're in Brent within, you know, half an hour of amazing museums. Funny enough, my, would you believe it that sometimes the school, my secondary school, so by the time they come in, they're 11 years old, we are the first time that many of our students have gone on the underground. Yeah. So can I, can I turn that into a sort of broader question for you both? and indeed for any, anyone else in the audience to answer. So the previous session in here was about social mobility. Mm. There's both evidence and a sense that social mobility has declined in all sorts of ways in recent years. Uh, part of that is sometimes ascribed to cultural capital as well as social capital. What, what one thing would you do to help perhaps as the sort of kids at your school, to have the cultural capital, which then gives them the confidence to go for the certain kind of jobs which the elite children are uh, totally confident in going for. And not just visits to the V&A is the answer, but obviously that's yeah. part of the answer. Tristram. Um, I mean, I mean that, exactly that mission is what, is what we're seeking to experiment with at, at, the, at the Museum of Childhood. How, how do we create this, this space to build up the creative confidence uh, and, and, and the creative energy? It's, there's no correlation, despite the great 
policy, which um, you know, I, I supported and I still support, of free entry to museums, changing the demographic of those visiting museums. Um, and the, 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 what, what we've seen is that it's, I mean, for a museum like the VNA, we struggle more um, in reaching lower socioeconomic income groups than, for example, our colleagues at the Natural History Museum and the Science Museum because of the family groups who will go to those uh, museums. Um, and people say, well, well, you know, it's the cost of exhibitions. Um, and it's not because, A, if you want to go and see something, you'll pay for it. And people pay a lot of money to go and see football um, and enjoy it. Yeah. And we had the, the greatest diversity of audience for our most expensive exhibition, which was on Pink Floyd, uh, because people wanted to come and see it and valued it, and um, it spoke to them. Um, and so there's a lesson there about you know, what, what you're putting on in your museums. There's absolutely a lesson about feeling open and accessible and ensuring that volunteers and staff members uh, look and feel and sound like you, so all of those kind of barriers to entry um, are, are not there, whilst also retaining absolute kind of critical cultural rigour about the provision um, of a national museum. So there are lots of small interventions by, by, by institutions to assist with this. The blanket provision of free access to museums, which I support, is not enough. You need to go further. And we're really lucky in this country that our museums are free yeah. um, for many of our students and many of our schools, and that's, um, that's an absolute bonus, which we have here mm. as well. Now, I'm now going to do something slightly different because it's mid-afternoon and ask you just for about one minute, talk to the person next to you about something which has really struck you that you've heard <laughs> or something you really <laughs> disagree with or something which is still unclear, and we'll then collect a few of those in about two minutes' time. Okay, sorry to, sorry to cut, cut short what's probably a, an absolutely fascinating conversation. You've just started with your neighbour, but you will be able to continue it uh, in about uh, 20 minutes' time. Um, can we, have we got a mic maybe over here, and just perhaps collect a few comments, responses, questions? Yes, there, please. Hi, um, I've heard a couple of people today saying that schools should be safe places. Um, and I'm wondering what you think about where should there be a place for danger and risk in schools? We were just talking about that. Do you want to comment on... So, do you mean, sorry, I wasn't in it, but do you mean safe as in violent safe? I don't think you meant that, did you? No, I... Because I'm that's what we deal with. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's actually was my morning. I had to. I was dealing with a fight outside of the school with two other gang yeah. members. So that's that's my reality. The, the, the world is. Yeah. The world is not a safe place. So how should schools reflect that? The only thing that we should be doing in our schools, and I'm actually, and I'm talking to you. I've only worked in one school, and that's the school that I'm working in now. And uh, the reason why I've decided to work in that school is because it's been extraordinary. Because what we do, we are a safety net for our children. And when the, the moment the students cross the threshold, we would like to think that we've got them, and that they are safe from absolutely everything that takes place, even at home. So I think that's a huge role. But add that with curriculum pressures, with offset, with accountability, with publishing our results. Add that um, huge emotional turbulence with the pressures that leaders have got to be faced with. 
And um, I don't know how we do it. I don't know how schools manage it, to be honest, in this country. There are extraordinary places. I'm not just saying that because I'm a teacher, but, you know, everything else can fail around us in terms of the B word, but we're still rocking in terms of schools. We're still doing well for our students, and that's amazing. And you mentioned earlier how you are constrained by all sorts of bureaucracy on risk assessments mm. of everything, yeah. Yeah, which weren't there world, a generation yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. You would get rid of those, would you? Would I? Would, would you get rid of those if you could? Oh, God, I, I, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if a, if a teacher had, you know, when you go into the profession, you've got dreams. You're like, my, my classroom is going to be like this. I'm going to teach like this. I'm going to be able to take my children on, on museums. I'm going to take them outside. But then actually, in reality, a lot of that, we can't. Mm. So if, if the answer is yes, you, 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 <laughs> You'd get them more out into the outside world yeah, and more of the outside absolutely. world into schools. Who would like to share a thought, comment from this bank there? Yes, please. Uh, hello. Uh, we discussed here about uh, how I personally felt that maybe the term creativity has been really reserved uh, for the arts and drama, yeah. and we haven't discussed about creativity across the board yeah. in every single discipline. Yeah. Um, engineering needs a lot of creativity, technology, yeah. science, uh, sociology, anything, everything. I Maths feel that needs talking creativity. About creativity yeah. as an isolated on the side instead of applied across the board might, mm. you know, discourage the students about how creative they are and how they could, you know, express their creativity. So creativity in everything except accounting, probably. Uh, every, there is creative <laughs> accounting, I'm sure. <laughs> Chris, would you like to comment on that? Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. And, and what, what we think about a lot at the museum and elsewhere is design thinking, how designly thinking, uh, how thinking as a designer uh, can, can make its way into lots of other uh, disciplines. But then I do also just think you want, I mean, Andrea will speak to this far better than me, you, you, you want that sense of creativity across the, the curriculum and the school, but you also just want that kind of engine uh, of the arts and drama and music, you know, powering that, that kind of wonder within a school environment as well and allowing it to sort of seep across um, all areas. So I absolutely agree, but, but let's, let's not also in the same sense that everything could be... The fear is if you, if, if you allow the notion that everything can be creative, then you, you, as it were, there's a fear you diminish, in a sense, those great engines of, of artistic creativity uh, in a school environment. Hmm. Who over here would like to... Oh, yes, you at the front. Could you bring a mic here? Thank you. I think, Andrew, you're very right that we should let the children have first-hand experience. I once knew a girl who actually was doing uh, designing on hats in London. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't got a crew that she can go to Harrods and have a look at them, mm -hmm. and never been out. Mm -hmm. So I took her hand, go, go into Harrods with her, try it on. She said, what, you mean I can try it on? Mm -hmm. Now another thing too, school should try and get rid of insurance. Get rid of insurance. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, in my yeah. days when I taught, yeah. I'm 69. Yeah. In my days yeah. when I taught in school, we got no insurance. We take the children everywhere. And I still do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, because if we don't, if we believe what they need, if we don't, we let bureaucracy win mm -hmm. and insurance win. Because a lot of schools, we used to take the children out to the seaside. They've never seen the sea. But we 
our group, we say, never mind, we'll do it at our risk. Do you know what the, the problem is? It's not that it's the insurance. It's a pro the question that we, I always get asked is, is what impact, what's the impact that going to the sea, what will that bring to our students? What, how, how can you justify? How can I measure that? How, how do I know it's been a successful trip? That's the question. It's the end of the and just one, one comment on your first question, if you're interested in hats, the emerging... <laughs> The emerging cultural district in sunny Luton is called the Hat District. There's a hat factory, hat works, and so on. And we, I mean, we've, we've got a few hats as well. You've got a few yes. hats? <laughs> okay. we're, quite, we're quite, in fact, the leading global collection. <laughs> you should come and share it. Uh, okay, anyone else? And does anyone think they've got a better answer to any of the questions than you've heard so far? No? Okay, okay ask a question. Yeah. Uh, bring the mic up here, yeah. Thanks very much. Um, I just wondered if you might be able to comment on the fact that when I went, I did a fine art degree and my parents hadn't gone to university. I don't think it qualifies you for anything, but it does prepare you for a great deal. And um, I think now I wouldn't be able to do that because the costs of it are very high. Yeah. I just wondered if you had any comments on how um, an institution like VA Music, VA Museum can make a difference to ensuring that children that aren't from rich backgrounds can still do fine art at art college? Well, we, we, we work very closely. We, we, were, we were one and the same for a long time with the Royal College of Art. Um, and so we fund a, a series uh, of MAs at the Royal College of Art on the history of design um, and, uh, and other courses to, to, to try and assist with that. But it's incredibly hard. Um, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And ag again, the... the I, Maybe the government's higher education reform review at the moment um, will address, which I think it was a suggestion, about the abolition of maintenance grants um, um, relative to the kind of low interest rate level for the student grants. So I, I think you're totally right to, to highlight it, and hopefully there might be some shift in mm. that. Unfortunately, another problem is that the arts, sorry, I'm talking about the arts a lot, but um, they're very expensive. So our students are gonna have to be forking out for um, materials and you know, comparing to when I went to art, art uni, um, uh, textiles and fine art, it was, a, it was a really extraordinary in terms of the cost of paying those subjects. But again, answering your question, um, I've got a student of mine. Um, she's now in year 12, first year of her A-levels. And she says to me, Miss, I'm going to go to summer school. And I was like, brilliant. So which ones do you want to go to? Well, the University of Newcastle offering a fantastic um, summer school. It's um, hopefully there's somebody from Newcastle University here. Maybe, yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> brilliant. Um, they've got a fantastic, and she did this research by herself because she's on it. Um, uh, uh, fantastic course, brilliant like that. And, um, and they're going to pay for everything. And I go, oh, brilliant. What, what other universities, what other course have you found there's one in Cambridge I go oh tell me about it but miss no I can't I go why so she can't she doesn't feel that she can has the privilege has the right to even think about the possibility of going to those universities and I think that's interesting again it's that kind of a social mobility barrier is do our students feel that they can they have a right to enter those buildings those institutions and that's what we have to break in this in this world of ours so a final question from me for both of you, and in a way it's a question to every, every one of you in this room. If you imagine yourself 20 years time, 2039, in a room like this, perhaps in a discussion like this, what do you think then we will wish we had done differently now? 
<laughs> Don't mention Brexit. No, no. Um, what, 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 what do you yeah. think that you know, the retrospective, the future you will say, God, if only we had back in 2019 done da-da-da-da-da? Who wants to start? Or, or do you want to answer that question? You got a mic. Work, work. I, I asked a question about other definitions of success and definitions of success in secondary schools being measured by the amount of A-star GCSEs yeah. that you get, regardless of what subject they are, and success in art and design being based on a higher education degree. And in the future, will, be, will we be looking that the skill set and the ambition will come from outside of the mainstream education sector. And I think if you look at other parts of the world, people are doing it in a different way. And in emerging economies, I think the, the idea that you need to go to art school to be creative, to learn to make things, is perhaps overplayed within our education system. Okay, and then right at the back, we'll let you have the last, semi-last word. So to answer your question about what we could have done in 20, 30 years' time differently um, would be about having events like this, which are about young people's futures in education, either ran by or involving more young people, mm -hmm. more speakers, more young people to share their actual experiences straight from the horse's mouth. OK, that's a very good challenge. Get rid of all of us oldies. <laughs> yep. How dare you? I'm not so old. <laughs> <laughs> OK, final, final words from each of you. Tristan first. Um, I think the point about success yeah. is, is really, really valuable, yeah. and it, it points to this, this broader issue which Andrea has to um, deal with, which, that, which is that historically, um, education was, was part of a, a coalition, um, and there were organisations like museums, there were trade unions, there were political parties, there were extended families, there were civil society groups, scouts and guides, and schools were within that. Um, and as, we, as we've stripped away a lot of civil society, um, as organised, and, and faith, of course, faith was essential to that, church and chapel was an incredibly important part of the education process. As we've kind of secularised, as we've stripped away civil society, as we as we're scared of talking about the responsibilities of parents and family structure, that hasn't been addressed at all. That's the most important component. Uh, and we're sort of too scared to, to talk about that. Um, we end up with everything uh, on Andrea's shoulders and those of her mm. colleagues. Um, and so in a sense, what success looks like is, you're absolutely right, it's not just about what's coming out of the schools, but it's also, you know, looking ahead 20 years, broadening that right out again. How do we, how do we rebuild a, a broader educational coalition in which we all play um, our roles and sort of shift this ob obsessive debate, which is understandable because it's the only metric we've got now is, is, is left with, with, with schools. Um, and, you know, w what I hope to do as director of the VNA is be, be a part of that coalition um, into the future. Can I follow on from that as well? It just made me um, have goosebumps, that question, because what does success mean? Does success mean that as a child I graduate from um, my school with um, grade nines? Absolutely brilliant. The, a, a few months afterwards they take their own life because they can't cope. Is that success? 
is the is success the fact that um, we have students who are literally self-harming because they can't cope with the pressures. Um, in this country, uh, one out of six of our girls are suffering from mental health at the age of 16. Is that success? If you are people with it who can make something happen in this room, then we need to do something, please. Yep. <clears throat> Well, look, th thank, you, thank you both for fantastic comments, and that's a really good note to end on. In a way, you know, the ultimate question for any system is, you know, at looking back from the end of your life, will you think you had the right education, the right preparation to live a, a rich, thriving life, not just for work, not just for qualifications? And there's, I think, a pretty widespread sense things are a little bit out of kilter. So many thanks, Trisma and Andrea. It says on the agenda, I will say a few final concluding words, summing up everything that's happened, uh, which is slightly <laughs> impossible. You're very welcome to sit down. I'll be very, very brief. But uh, well, thank, thank Andrea and Trisma before thank I do you. so. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more on Nesta's work in education, go to nesta.org.uk forward slash education. If you'd like to hear more from Nesta, why not try Future Curious, Nesta's podcast of bold ideas for curious minds. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts or see nesta.org.uk forward slash Future Curious for more.